Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Travel Safely with Brian Mulligan. Travel Safely is presented by Applied Information, creator of the Travel Safely smartphone app. As you know, Brian is the founder of Applied Information and it's the company president. And he's actually the brains behind all of this here. We'll get to more of that uh, a little bit later on. But Brian, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, everybody, the family, the company, we're all well and healthy. Uh, and that's our number one priority is to keep it that way. So, uh, so we're very grateful for that. And uh, things are going as well as they can under the circumstances. Good, I'm glad to hear that. We hope that's true for everybody out there too. We talked about the past, the present, and the future. Let's, let's start uh, chronologically in the past. Give us a little bit of the Brian Mulligan story. Uh, up until the point you created Applied Information. All right. So, well, it's been an, uh, an interesting journey as an entrepreneur over these years. And uh, from my accent, you can tell I'm originally from Cape Town in South Africa. Uh, the southern uh, accent. The, the deep south. I'm from the deep south and from Cape Town, the world's most beautiful city. And uh, I was in my 20s when I last had a proper job, as I, as I like to say. And I went out on this entrepreneurial path and built a series of, uh, of uh, companies and businesses. Uh, one of them uh, bought a company that I had started in, uh, in Cape Town, and that brought me to Atlanta 23 or 24 years ago. Okay. And uh, since then, I've been in the transportation sector here in a, in a number of technology-related uh, companies. And then about um, uh, eight years ago, uh, something like that, um, just I'd sold the previous business uh, and decided, well, I've got one more real run in me and created applied information uh, in the middle of the big recession, 2011. And, uh, you know, everybody thought I was crazy. And, uh, and here we are. What, uh, what was kind of the spark that got you going down this path? And what did you want to accomplish with this company? The, the short story is this, that as a technology provider in the transportation business, I came to the realization that we'd done a terrible job of selling bits and pieces to the various government entities and then turning them into systems integrators. When the first ITS were jobs were done, you'd sell a sign, you'd sell some fiber optics, you'd sell a camera, you'd sell some software. But ultimately, it was the state or the county or the city that had to put that all together as a system. And that uh, we all pointed fingers at each other when something went wrong because it was clearly the other person's fault. So what changed everything is the Internet of Things approach, which is where wireless connectivity and Internet connectivity is ubiquitous. You've got a field device. You've now got cloud computing. And as I like to say, we, we transitioned to make applied information sell the products and services that the governments needed, not necessarily focused on what the governments wanted to buy. And so what we did is we uh, used our own capital to develop all the technologies. Uh, and so we had minimum viable products in the various areas. So we could go to cities and started with the cities to say, guys, this is what the future looks like. This is how you can uh, make a difference at a much lower cost uh, by, by buying a complete solution and then what where the name came from of applied information information is data in context made useful 
And so the business of sensors, whether it be traffic sensors or whatever kind of sensor, whatever kind of device, spewing out megabytes of data didn't do anybody any good. And so what the, the low hanging fruit is, is the status and health of your ITS system, of your traffic system working properly? And so that's where we turn the data into information and applying it, that's where applied information came from. All right, so you, you basically uh, changed the paradigm of basically selling components to a solution. Correct, so solutions oriented. The, the, our view is at, at a fundamental level that, um, that the cities and, and the counties and the states um, are really good at understanding what the user need is and what the public policy is. But technology is changing so fast. Don't put yourself in the position of being an asset manager where you're trying to buy bits and pieces from everybody. And then as soon as something changes, like uh, communications gets upgraded or somebody changes the software version, then everything breaks. And they're looking to you to be the, 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 the asset manager that managing all those technology assets. Rather focus on buying solutions, outcomes-based contracts. Focus on buying the outcomes that you want and leave it to the technology companies uh, to put together the technology solution uh, that enables you to meet your outcomes. Okay. What was your uh, first solutions package and, and who did you sell it to? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The first solutions package in the traffic business. Now, well, there, there's... There, there's actually mildly amusing story and it goes like this when i sold the previous company i had a non-compete in the traffic business mm -hmm. which i absolutely respected but i had this idea of an internet things company yes which is applicable to traffic but i had a non-compete so I, I wasn't active in that process so as entrepreneurial success you know you you know people so i got involved in two areas which people might find unusual the first one was chicken farming i know more about chicken farming than you'd want to know. And that is to do with how you manage an alert on the carbon dioxide levels and the temperatures in the, in the chicken house, uh, because if the carbon dioxide levels get uh, too high or the, or the temperature gets too low, then the chickens don't grow. Oh. So, so you, you- Or they lay square eggs. You lay square eggs or whatever the case may be. Um, and did you know that a chicken spends more time in an egg than it does on its feet. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> so, so but that might come useful in trivia at, uh, at, at some time. The second one was mining. Open cast mining has got vehicles and drilling holes and, um, and, and blasting and uh, yields and, and, and so forth. Um, and so that lent itself to an internet of, of things approach. So I got involved in developing Glance, the, the, the platform as a general industrialized platform to solve these industrial platforms. Um, but then when uh, my non-compete was out, for those potentially you know, entrepreneurs out there, entrepreneurial success depends on two things. It depends on relationships mm -hmm. and credibility. You have to be credible in your industry and you have to know everybody in your industry. So I had a lot of credibility and relationships in transportation and none in chicken farming or in mining. Gotcha. So when my non-compete was up, I said, well, let's, let's go back into transportation. So we let those other things go uh, and, and focus on transportation. And, and here we are with, uh, with transportation solutions that started off in chicken farming and mining.
very circuitous, but we got here. All right, let's, let's kind of look toward today, the present of the company. Describe the company as it is today. Obviously, entrepreneur starts off with one guy in his garage or basement or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been a few years now. What does uh, flight information look like today in terms of people, offices, uh, and how you deliver your your uh, your products? Right. So, so interestingly enough, there's a couple of things which we've been successful uh, in building, and that is through building a product that the market finds acceptable and wants to buy. Uh, and so what we did, yep, as you're right, the first 18 months or two years, we're developing the, 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 the core technologies. And that involves a, um, a field device. It involves the wireless connections, uh, but it might be Ethernet as well and fiber, but primarily wireless. And then the cloud computing that provides the management of the, of the whole system. So that's where we started developing that. And the first goal was to provide monitoring. Okay. And so the monitoring was, how do you know that your traffic cabinet is working properly? Because I'd uh, been in, uh, in the traffic industry and I knew that sometimes it's hard to tell that when your traffic cabinet suddenly stops communicating, has the power failed, has the controller failed, or has your communications failed? So that's the first uh, uh, low hanging fruit that we went after. And then we're successful with that product and then rolled that technology into school beacons. We were successful with that product uh, and, and then was in um, priority and preemption in that product and then connected vehicles and, and so forth. And now when we talk about the future, we'll talk about some exciting new uh, technologies and products. So, so that's what you do is that you make one product successful in the market, invest the money that's created by that market to then build another product, make that successful in the market. So you can produce a new product line every 12 to 18 months. But built on the same platform. <laughs> built on the same platform. It's all, uh, it's all common. So that's where uh, you have to, these days, if you try and do 10 different things for def 10 different people using 10 different platforms, the chances are uh, that uh, you're going to make 10 products badly. And in fact, it came out this morning. I was uh, chatting with somebody who said, well, surely there's a need for your products in hospitals with everything that's going on now. And I said to them, quite possibly. But if we do a hospital product, not knowing anybody in the hospital and not and taking you know, forever to get access you know, to that market, the chances are we'll do it badly. There's plenty of products in the transportation space and, and verticals that we still need to go after. And America's a big place. Let's do that and then we'll do that well. Okay. So you've mentioned a couple of these. Um, the products fit into a number of categories. You've mentioned internet of things, smart cities, and connected vehicles. I mean, how do they fit in all these categories that seem uh, a little disconnected? Really, the person who changed it all and I have to get credit to, is Steve Jobs. Because up until then, point and shoot cameras. Well, it's a big market. I mean, the, the, you know, Fuji and these guys managed to put Kodak out of the film guys out of business with point and shoot cameras. And they're no sooner patting themselves on the back at this great market that they've created when somebody came along and ate their lunch. You had folks who, who made, um, Smartphones, so phones are very descriptive. You have to think of Nokia and Ericsson, 
who said now the smartphone thing is a kind of fad. You know, got BlackBerry who's taking care of it. And, and what uh, Steve Jobs did, he said, no, he says, I think the, the market's ready for a premium device that does all of these things, but it has to do all these things as well or better as the original. That led to really the practical app stores, smartphones, Internet of Things is tied to all of that, where the fact that the Internet can connect everything to everything, and that changes everything. So what you do, like you do on a smartphone, is that the applications to do priority and preemption built on cabinet monitoring and school beacons built on that technology and so forth are all built on the principle of the Internet of Things where everything connected to everything changes everything and then you can deploy applications which solve real problems at a fraction of the cost of what I call the conventional systems engineering approach is which where you want to define every aspect of a new product. And these big companies spend a year or two writing out a project specification. There's some great examples like Iridium, which was the uh, Motorola's low orbit uh, satellite constitution, where they spent years developing this, this te technology very, very successfully to find that by the time they were ready to launch it, the market had moved on. And that's what the key thing we've been able to achieve with our approach and our platforms is that we continuing to add applications to an existing platform gives us really short time to delivery, a really solid platform to build it on, and we can uh, leverage uh, markets in as I said, school beacons and preemption and connected vehicles all on the same platform, which all funds common uh, development costs. And now the folks we're competing with who want to fund this just out of one of those verticals, mm -hmm. very difficult for them to catch us. Yeah, nimble like a smartphone, but yet the basics are there so that you've got the, uh, the rigidity needed by the industry and the reliability. Correct, so, so, and, and that's, a, that's a huge point. So, so one of the things in the traffic business, it's a very peculiar business, that your products have to be flavored and qualified so that they meet the needs of the traffic industry. Uh, and it's very specific, and so you have to be an insider and yet you leverage the lessons that are from other industries to make traffic specific uh, acceptable products and services. Once you started deploying these solutions, did you start seeing the types of results that you expected? Yes and no. There's a, a couple of uh, interesting things have happened. Technically, yes, it all worked exactly as I envisaged, but I'm a technology guy. And so some reactions of some people have been quite unusual. For example, in the mining business, the open cast mining business, and I'm generalizing here, so if there's any open cast mining guys on the, on the phone, please don't take offense. But in principle, the open cast mining business is managed by people shouting at each other. It's just how the industry works, is that they're rough, tough, they're miners, they do what miners do. So we provide them all this information. So now that they can shout at each other louder. And what happens then is everybody looks at us and says, you the guys whose fault this is, because you provided this information that causes us to shout at each other. It sounds asinine, but it's actually true. That's why it wasn't readily adopted as a harder sell, because there were folks and a very established culture that was anti-technology. Similar things actually happens in the solar beacon world. So in the solar powered devices, a fair amount of the time, those devices just don't work at all. The batteries are flat, 
this tree grew over the solar panel, whatever the case may be. And people repair those when the public complains to say that this flash is not working at this location. Fine. So we instrument all of this. We bring it up into glance and we create alerts and alarms that says of your 20 you know, solar powered devices, four of them are not working. And they say, well, nobody complained before. So clearly you broke them. That's the instinct, which is, it wasn't a problem for me before. Now you're telling me I've got four broken things that I didn't know about before. So it's obviously your fault. It doesn't, doesn't happen a lot, but those are the kinds of human engineering and it breeds uh, a, a, an expression, in fact, which, which I got from Fader Massimo when we were doing the North Avenue project, which is called socializing the technology. Just takes time for people to get used to the idea that this is all actually much easier. And then you're sitting at home and you look at your iPad and it's giving you valuable information that you can direct your troops and provide a more reliable infrastructure, more effective and efficient infrastructure in all kinds of ways using these kinds of techniques. I would imagine that the school beacon folks who have the glass product uh, probably appreciate the fact in this disruption that they could essentially throw a switch on an iPad and make the adjustments to the school beacons that were necessary and that also lets them know in normal times uh, if the uh, device is malfunctioning. And then also there's the uh, better results with the preemption aspect as well. Yeah, so what, what happened on the school beacon side is that um, there have been various you know, remote pages systems and so forth. But there, there's some actually you know, publicized results where Gwinnett County nearby, a large county here in Georgia, had a 94% reduction in the number of citizen complaints, which is the beacons going on at the wrong time, going off at the right time, not working and so forth. So they were thrilled that, 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 that there was this, this tangible effort. And they're still, you know, in the business of, uh, of schools being out here for, for however many weeks now, in, in an area where I live, the schools of beacons still faithfully go on and off every morning with their program to go on and off uh, and that's just not possible to change their, uh, their timing. So yes, there's been some huge benefits in that area. And then in the, in the second area, um, the business of us enabling people to work from home. Yes, people knew that that was an advantage, but nobody knew that it was critical to the operation of a city's traffic intersections to be able to have eyes on the intersections from home. And that's uh, where the iPads and the iPhones and things. And as we um, you know, look at the data of how many people log on, the majority of people log on to check on the status of their traffic intersections. They log on actually from their phone. Uh, so that's all becoming, giving reality to work from home. We're playing our part in helping people work from home. And then obviously then the, the, the third thing that we're proud of is the, uh, is the preemption system of getting paramedics to citizens in need the paramedics are stressed, the whole health industry is stressed, and the fact that we can provide safe passage by giving the paramedics green lights, bringing everybody safely to a halt. We're reducing the response times by in general by a minute uh, on an average response call, minute to a minute and a half. And that's just saving lives today and, and, and providing more capability for the, for the paramedics and, and that would be the product. Uh, well, let's talk about that elephant in the room the COVID crisis and its impact on applied information. What's been the company's response? Right. So internally and externally. Right. 
so in, in the first instance, we, at the beginning of this, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, we established a four-step program, four critical values that our company has that is going to action items to guide us through this process. And I'm sure if, if the folks watching will, will share this. The first one is to keep everybody safe and well. So you can see we're sitting the six feet apart in the ITL, but there's nobody else here. Everybody who can work from home is working from home. The production guys who, who are working are spaced out desks. They're wearing masks. Uh, and so uh, we're not doing anything that would put anybody in harm's way. And so um, that's led, uh, you know, our second point is our company is functioning. We're shipping orders. We're manufacturing. It's interesting that uh, you asked where the company is today. So um, we've got offices in, in the United States, in, in California, in Texas, uh, in Atlanta. But we've also got offices in Cape Town, in South Africa, in, and in uh, Chandigarh, in India. And uh, these are all you know, company employees that with the miracle of modern technology, we're able to all communicate very well with it, each other. But these are the, the folks who, who are responsible for keeping uh, glance running and for manufacturing the, the field devices and maintenance and so forth, warranty. Uh, and uh, South Africa and India are, are both under very strict lockdowns. They're both, their governments have both decided that if this COVID-19 gets in amongst the general population, that there's just a huge catastrophe waiting to happen. So uh, what we were able to do is in, in India, all our folks are working from home. Uh, and so very effectively, they are computer and software guys that can work very effectively from home. In South Africa, we've got some of the folks working from home. Uh, and then the, um, the, the folks who are doing manufacture, we've been classified as an essential service there. So we're continuing uh, to ship a product, which we receive test to do final assembly here in Atlanta and then, then ship out to the customer. So we're very fortunate to have continued operation and the, and the assurance of continued operation. We've got a number of cities that, um, that A, the more than 550 cities who use our technology, we can confidently tell them that they're in good hands. Um, and the folks who are now investing in the technology, we're able to continue to ship and deliver and, uh, and keep the company running and provide, do more with less as we, uh, as we work our way through this. All right, let's uh, be a little more forward-looking. Uh, I've heard you say this a number of times, the future of vehicular transportation is electric, connected, and autonomous. All right, there you go. So what, what does all that mean? And where are we in that process? Again, there's a bunch of interesting stories. So we'll do each of them in turn. Electric. Now, I don't have any dog in the fight of the electric vehicle world, except that we decided that because we're a technology company, we wanted to drive the most technological cars that we could get, and that involved buying Teslas. And so we, 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 we drive Teslas to be able to test electric, connected, or autonomous. To find out, you know, is range anxiety a thing? Is, is you know, what, 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 is the, what does it feel like to live this world? And the answer is that it feels pretty good because I've been driving an electric car for a number of years and I'd never go back to driving a gasoline car. What's happened in this COVID period is that, for example, the guys, the folks in Los Angeles have got used to now seeing the mountains. 
because the amount of smog and pollution in the cities is just a fraction of what it was. Now, I'm not a politician. I don't, I don't go there. But the question is, will this drive the adoption of electric vehicles at, just because people are enjoying the fact that the air is clearer, um, that air quality is making a practical difference to people's lives, both visually and health-wise. And so that's the argument that says there'll be an accelerated adoption of electric vehicles. There's an argument says, well, as it happens just yesterday, the futures price of oil went to negative. Producers of oil are paying their customers to take their oil because they can't store it. So the argument that, okay, well, obviously you, 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 you want to drive an electric vehicle because it's cheaper than gas. Well, that, that argument's got a hole in it. So I can't see in, in the short term, you know, what, what's going to happen because there are these things playing out. But in the long term, it's inevitable that at all sorts of reasons that the world will move to electric vehicles. Uh, just the maintenance, uh, you, an average car has got 2,000 moving parts. My electric vehicle has got 17. You never take it for a service. <clears throat> There's all kinds of things that, you know, that it, certainly in five or 10 years time, people will say, well, do you remember when we still had a, a gasoline car? And then, you know, people will say, oh, well, what about finding charging stations? Well, you've got to be, you know, got to think about that a little bit. When the tipping point comes, oh, what happens? How do you find a gas station? When all the gas stations are closed and moved to, to, to other uses of, of real estate. So that's, that's electric connected. This is the big hope for connected uh, transportation. It means all sorts of things, whether it's short range radio, long range radio, pedestrian avoidance, collision avoidance. There are all sorts of applications for uh, connected vehicles. Uh, the business of just getting new maps and speed limits and alerts and, and things. It's all mixed up with the cellular, with short range radio. And um, we don't take a strong view on which one of those is going to win out. What we do is we just say, we're going to use all the radios and focus on the applications. And that's where we came on is that um, using the radios that we already have, which is cell phones and smartphones, let's have a, uh, an app which we call Travel Safely, free to download, connects you to the traffic intersections where that's a bridging technology until the car companies deliver applications in their cars. And obviously the, the exciting news there is Ford have committed that in 2022, subject to some regulatory things which we're working through, that they'll have connected vehicles in their cars and then all these applications will be mainstream because the Ford Motor Company is going to make it that way. And you've an interesting point about the uh, smartphone that brings the vulnerable road users under that cloak of safety. Correct. And the, that, that when I say everything connected to everything changes everything. So when you a jogger, a walker, a cyclist, a scooter, that's called a vulnerable road user. And the number of deaths and in industries of that community is just on the increase. It's just tragic. And what we have to do is use a combination of local sensors and the radios we have and the radios we're going to have uh, to make sure that cars don't hit these folks and particularly don't hit them at speed. So the numbers are something like if you hit a pedestrian at over 40 miles an hour, there's a 10% survivability. If you hit a pedestrian at under 20 miles an hour, there's a 90% survivability. So you don't have to make everything perfect, 
We just have to reduce the speed of collisions. And that's where school beacons and a number of our technologies come in. Uh, travel safely in connected vehicles is reducing the number and the speed of, of collisions. Uh, and that makes a better outcome for everybody. Now, the autonomous part, the Tesla, I guess that's, they are leading the pack, I guess, at the moment. Yeah, well, and that's a, an interesting thing to see it unfold. There, there are two schools of thought in autonomous vehicles. And again, we don't have a dog in this fight, but we're watching with interest as it unfolds. So you get folks like Waymo or Google who said humans can't really be trusted to transition from non-autonomous to autonomous. So they uh, developing technologies that go immediately to what's called level five, where the, where the car can drive by itself without a human being involved. Tesla, on the other hand, said, well, that's not going to work very well. What we're going to do is start off with level one, which is the human driving the car, uh, through to um, increased levels of autonomy, but with the process called handoff, handoff or handover, where under certain circumstances it can't drive, and then it'll go beep, 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 all yours, Mr. Passenger, and it'll try and detect that it's got the, uh, um, your, your hand on the, uh, on the wheel. And so, uh, so all of this is part of this continuum. And what we're seeing is the really the early adopter for autonomous is autonomous shuttles. And those are becoming, uh, in the controlled environments, uh, you can move six or eight people uh, from point A to point B on a circular route. Uh, and, and that's, so we're seeing step by step uh, the adoption of autonomous. And, and we're playing our, our part by A, understanding it through our Tesla and other experiences, but B, through making the infrastructure ready to receive autonomous vehicles. So I'll give you an example. If an autonomous shuttle is driving down the road and it comes across a red light, it'll stop. But if it comes across a green light, it'll go. Because that's what an autonomous shuttle is trained to do. Now, in the event that a fire truck is barreling down the side street, the autonomous shuttle is on the green and the fire truck is on the red and it passes through the red and hits the autonomous shuttle on the green. That'll put autonomous driving back years. So that's what we do with our um, preemption product is when the fire truck comes along on the red, we'll turn it green and the autonomous shuttle, which saw a green, will turn it red. And that's how we make it safe for both human drivers as well as autonomous shuttles to be able to operate together. Speaking of the infrastructure, what role does equipping the infrastructure with this technology play in this whole big picture? A, a huge and invaluable part. And the, it, it, it plays out in several ways. And, and this is where you have to use these technologies like a smartphone that you can continually improve it by getting new apps from the app store. That's the nature of the technology we deploy in the infrastructure. So the first thing is uh, by connecting the infrastructure with you know, up, up to the, the, the central systems, what that means is that you don't have to deploy fiber optic everywhere. 10 years ago, the cities were all deploying fiber. Now if we call it, we call it wireless fiber because the wireless is good enough to actually deploy video and control your traffic cameras and your traffic equipment uh, through wireless. So that's a connectivity piece that is brought by equipping the infrastructure. 
Then because the infrastructure, all our products have what we call over-the-air software updates. Over-the-air software updates, secure over-the-air software updates means that we can fix bugs as well as deliver new features through an over-the-air software update. So for example, when we uh, develop Travel Safety, which is an app on your phone that you can use to interact with the traffic light through your ears, it'll tell you get ready for green, it'll tell you pop, pop, red light, and so forth, uh, speeding in a school zone. We didn't leave our customers behind. What we do is through an over-the-air software update, now it all works with the new technologies. And so this goes on, is that uh, as we get newer and newer technologies and more and more applications, we bring all our existing customers along. And that's been a key part of uh, equipping the infrastructure, wireless telematics or connect connectivity everywhere, management of the status and health, is it all working properly, eyes on everything, give people alarms and alerts if something goes wrong. And interestingly enough, <laughs> what the data is showing is that the single biggest cause of unreliability in traffic system, and this is measured over thousands of traffic intersections, is the quality of the power. When you have a lightning storm and the power goes out and your controller goes into flash and, and comes back after the power, that causes a backup and so forth when it's in, in, uh, in Russia. And that's a big cause of instability. And that gives us the data uh, so folks are installing battery backups and, and things like that based on all of that. Speaking of infrastructure, we are at the Infrastructure Automotive Technology Laboratory, which is a, what, 75 square mile testing and improving ground. And we're in the inside part. Correct. And then the outside part. So tell us a little bit about the the genesis for this, and then we're going to take a quick tour. and We can look at some of the infrastructure uh, products that you have. Again, as an entrepreneur, what you do is, is you, you scan the environment and you look for two things, impediments for, pro, for progress and opportunities for progress. So what I was, that is we um, joined an organization called the 5GAA, which exposed us to the automotive companies as well as the mobile network operators, the cell phone companies. And we and a couple of others are the infrastructure companies. It became apparent that the car companies make cars that drive on the roads, but they've got no idea how the infrastructure works. Traffic lights go red, yellow, and green, but that's really how much they need to know. Likewise, on the infrastructure side, we don't know what, well, really what happens in the car, what the cycles, you know, the design cycles are and how long those are and so forth. And so it, it, it came away to me that the only way we were going to actually get effective connection vehicles is if there was a place where the, the vehicle companies and the infrastructure companies and the cell phone companies could all participate together in a safe place where we could actually see all this working in practice. And that led to the development of the IOTL. We had a, a contract with the, uh, the city of Alpharetta to provide uh, priority and preemption uh, services uh, when they you know, found out that the potential was to, uh, to put this laboratory here, uh, which is a private sector sponsored laboratory. It's not getting no government money. Um, they said, yeah, we're, uh, we're happy to support you in this endeavor. 
Uh, the mayor is very progressive. The chief of public works is very progressive. Uh, and that uh, then we applied for a license from the FCC, an experimental license, to be able to deploy cellular VTX technology and new connected vehicle technology. Uh, and they granted 75 square miles of experimental space with the center of that circle, right here where we're standing, X right on the floor over there. Uh, and that's called, uh, and that's led to the IATL, the Infrastructure Automotive Technology Laboratory. The final question, looking forward, uh, what kind of new and exciting products uh, can the marketplace expect out of applied information in maybe 2020 or 2021? Right, and, and we've got two, two uh, technologies that we, that we could talk about. Um, is that, um, and this is actually quite interesting in this middle of the COVID period, is an opportunity to reflect and double down on our commitment to deliver a better future. And so, you know, our four values are save lives, improve the traffic, drive commerce and help the environment. And, and that's our commitment. And so what we're doing is uh, focusing our development folks on two areas. The first one is uh, we're very successfully in emergency vehicle preemption, paramedics to citizens in need, but we've got a number of customers who are saying that the future is to make their transit work better. And so we've got a number of technologies uh, coming out uh, this year uh, to make transit work better. And so that's uh, one of our commitments. The second one is that we've got something like, I don't know, between 17 and 20,000 devices out there in uh, between 500 and 600 cities. And our te technology platform is well accepted called Glance, the Smart City Supervisory System. Uh, and it's very widely accepted as reliable and effective way of being able to work from home and monitor your whole uh, infrastructure. And uh, so there's a number of things where folks are saying, well, what about um, a low power device that can monitor my pedestrian crossings? What about monitoring my um, walk, my pedestrian signals and so forth? So what we've done is um, we've developed a, a, a new product, which as it happens, I've got on the desk over here. So you can see in my hand is the new product. Maybe I'll be some boulders to uh, walk up and the folks can see this a little bit. And so this is uh, the new range of, uh, of uh, embedded device uh, that can go in, uh, it's called the, the low power monitor. It can go in all sorts of devices like pedestrian crossings, but it can also do knockdown detection. So now for the first time, pedestrian crossings, which are very susceptible to be knocked over and you don't know until somebody complains or somebody drives around, but now you'll get an immediate alert. And that extends you to things like uh, crash cushions and all sorts of passive devices that in the past weren't intelligent, but now we can make anything intelligent so you want to know the status of anything we'll make it intelligent flood warning so forth all ki all kinds of things where you want to know the status of thing it's a lower price point uh and uh interestingly enough it doesn't need power there's a version that uh is powered for five years by three double a batteries wow that's amazing that sounds exciting being able to take uh, essentially dumb infrastructure like a guardrail or something of that nature crash, crash cushion and smarten it up and people will know if there's if it needs to be replaced. It's doing more with less, that everybody's got to be able to work from home. 
everybody's got to be able to have eyes on everything. Uh, and so uh, you can deliver more effective infrastructure at a lower cost. Good. Jessica, do you have any questions? A question I have is, what are the auto manufacturers developing to take advantage of the connected roadside facilities like intersections, school zones, and other zones that would benefit from a status notification? Yeah, I'll answer that uh, generally and then specifically. So in generally, the, the auto companies have been aware that these signals of so-called SPAT, signal phase and timing, and map, the geometry of the intersection, have been a, around and a part of some standards, uh, that this is the information that's, that's transmitted by the infrastructure. And indeed, that's being transmitted here. What they're finding out is that specifically, if you're doing, let's say, a red light running application, that red light running has been one of the applications everybody's talked about. Well, now you've got to decide, so what do you want to do? Do you want it to come over the car speakers? How far away? Do you want it to apply the brakes? Or do you just want to give it an alert? And so we, we've, we're helping through this kind of facility, move this whole discussion from the theoretical to the practical. It's time for us to get out of the parking lot and to go play in the traffic. Let's see what happens when we approach traffic lights. What will people find acceptable? What do people want to buy? And, and so forth. And that's really exciting. We've got a number of relationships taking place with a number of the automakers where they see that this is contributing to actually making all these technologies a, a reality. And we're very, very excited about that. Next, we have someone asking, do you have any plans to develop tools for corridor management, like using an app? Yes and no. What we do is we um, collaborate with a number of the traffic folks who've got corridor management systems. So what we don't do, we don't have any plans to try and compete with and in a market where there are already four or five people uh, providing corridor management services. And so what that will, um, will do is we'll provide the support to make all of those systems work better. As far as the app is concerned, we see the app is a bridging technology. So we, we've got about 30 applications in the app that we call Travel Safely, which do school zones and red light running and, and, and pedestrian collision detection and, and all kinds of things. And as we move forward, that uh, we continue to add applications to that app, really to show the car companies, this is the kind of thing that is possible. But ultimately, the apps are going to be done by the vehicle companies, in our, our view, and we'll continue to make travel safely available at no charge uh, as a free app so we can show the future in practice. And then for folks who want to use an app because their car doesn't have that technology yet, absolutely, uh, they will continue to, to support those applications. So the corridor management, there's um, green light synchronization is one that's been talked about. It has some merits. We support um, those kinds of applications to the extent that we have people who, in our full ticket system, people who, who demand them, we, that, that we've got, got a sense that that's what people want, want the app to do. We're very responsive to, to what the customers want, what the public wants. 
Okay, and um, are there any issues with latency on the app if it is being used to communicate V2V? No, there isn't. Um, that's one of the misnomers that have occurred in this connected vehicle. You know, it's sort of a little bit of the, the emperor has no clothes problem. If everybody believes things something to be a self-evident truth, uh, then nobody challenges it. When connected vehicles were started, it was believed that that was going to be the only kind of safety thing that there was. They, they, um, and that, that every car was going to be compelled to have a radio in it and that latency was important. And the latency is important for what's called collision imminent, oh, sorry, imminent collision safety. So in other words, when you're doing 80 miles an hour and the other car's just nearby, latency is important. However, what's happened with all new cars is they're all coming out with sensor-based uh, safety. And so they've all got automatic emergency braking. And that's just a much more effective way of doing short-range safety than radios. All, the detail is unimportant. The point being is that the sweet spot for V2V communications is not as, as latency uh, critical as we, as an industry, thought. And so, for example, most cars, uh, you know, the cars put out the basic safety message 10 times a second, that's 100 milliseconds. Over the cell network, you typically get less than 300 milliseconds. That's plenty fast enough for medium range safety. And what, but what really what the, um, the, the answer is for, for radios is, is one of the short range radios like cellular VTX PC5 and then long range radios, which are the cell network. And then the new 5G radio standard, which actually includes both long range and short range short range radios. So uh, no, the, 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 uh, the, the cell network, network uh, both as it currently is and as it's contemplated with what's called edge computing, where they're talking about 20 millisecond latencies, those will, uh, those will work fine for all sorts of applications. Okay, Brian, and we have one last one here about the future. Um, are there any applications in process to bridge surface transportation to other modes such as water, including ferries or air, rail connections? Yes, and, and, and the way we do that is that we make our information, which, is, which we, in our view is controlled and, uh, and owned, I'm using that term not technically, by the city that we work with. And so we've got a number of applications, for example, you know, with um, ferry warning systems where it'll you know, indicate in the roadway ahead or by approaching the ferry, what the status of the ferry is, what time they're going to depart and so forth. So the whole business of multimodal uh, transportation is a key part of the future as we see it. And that's where this tighter integration with transit, ferries and air uh, is part of the future as we see it. And we're ready to play our part in that. All right, thank you, uh, Jessica. Peter, thank you for the excellent camera work. Brian, thank you for your time today. It's been very informative. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today from the IATL. For Brian and the team, I'm uh, Bill Wells. You guys stay safe, and we'll see you soon.